We hope this message has been a great blessing to you and has helped build your faith in Jesus. We encourage you to visit our app, Independence Christian Center, on your cell phone available from the Apple App Store or Android, Google Play. You can also find us on Apple TV, Roku, Amazon, YouTube, and Facebook, again, under Independence Christian Center, or at our website, iccfamily, all one word, dot O-R-G, iccfamily.org. Our heart's desire here is to labor with the Lord in building His body. Until next time, may God's very best be yours. a new series this morning and I'm calling it Citizens of Heaven in this first installment I'm calling The Holy Nation. We have really got to start thinking I know that it, it's a, cha- a challenge for me because I grew up thinking a certain way encouraged by our culture to think a certain way and while uh, I appreciate the culture in which I was allowed to grow up I also understand that that culture is gone. And so we have to deal with things as they are, not as we wish they were or not as they should be. And so as we get into this in the next few weeks, we're going to be discussing various facets of this. But today I want to talk about who we are and whose we are and how we need to begin to think of ourselves in those terms, because that is the way God sees us. And God expects us to respond to him in that way. I'm going to read a rather lengthy passage of scripture. I won't be doing this every every uh, one of these, uh, uh, you know, but I will today because there's a lot here. And this, of course, it's out of Ephesians where with Paul, all of his sentences are so long, it's like almost impossible to hook on or, <laughs> you know. But we'll begin with chapter uh, Ephesians chapter 1 and verse 22. And he, meaning the Father, and we ended with this more or less in uh, Grace in the Darkness, he put all things in subjection under Jesus' feet and gave him as head over all things to the church. Not head over all things in the church, head over all things to the church. You understand that Jesus is the head of all things, period. Okay? And you... And which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. And you were dead in your trespasses and sins. Let no one kid you. There is a hell to shun and a heaven to gain. And without being born again, you will not see heaven. Okay. I know there's that universalism that got started a few years ago again and has been making the rounds. But it says, and you were dead in your trespasses and sins in which you formerly walked according to the course of this world system, according to the prince of the power of the air. That would be the devil and of the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. He does not say The spirit that is now working in the disobedient. He uses a biblical phraseology. The sons of disobedient. Those who have given themselves to that spirit. Among them we too all formerly lived. In the lusts of our flesh. Indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind. And were by nature 
children of wrath. I want you to see this. Paul is drawing a dichotomy. If universalism were true, Jesus came and died for everybody, which he did. And as a result, everybody is going to heaven, whether they embrace him or not. This would make no sense. It would make no sense at all. All right. Indulge, and there's another word that gets here that's completely politically incorrect. But, you know, Paul wasn't too worried about that. Among them, we formerly, we too all, this is good, verse 3 again. Among them, we too all formerly lived. In the lusts of our flesh, indulging the desires of the flesh and of the mind, and were children of wrath, even as the rest. But God. Everybody say, but God. That's my favorite scripture. But God. But God, being rich in mercy, because of his great love with which he loved us, even when we were dead in our transgressions, made us alive together with Christ. For by grace you have been saved. And raised us up with him and seated us with him in the heavenly places in Christ Jesus. So that with an expressed intent and purpose here. That in the ages to come he might show the surpassing riches of his grace in kindness toward us in Christ Jesus. For by grace you have been saved through faith. And that, that grace, is not of yourselves. It is the gift of God and not a result of works, so that no one may boast. For we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus to be able to watch TV in comfort. No, for good works. Everybody say, I'm created for good works. Which God prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. The way before us is prepared. We need, we need not make our own way. All right. And so that we should walk in them. Therefore, remember that formerly you, the Gentiles in the flesh, who are called uncircumcision by the so-called circumcision, which is performed in the flesh by human hands, referring to the, Judea, the Jews who were, who were looking down their nose at the Gentiles. Remember that you were at that time separate from Christ. Next word, excluded. We hear so much about inclusivity and inclusion today. And yet God is very clear. No new birth, no heaven. No new birth, no spirit. Amen. Excluded from the commonwealth. And that word translated commonwealth Literally is the word politos, which means we get our word political directly from it. And it means citizenship excluded from the citizenship of the commonwealth of Israel and strangers to the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. But now there's that. But but God, but now. In Christ Jesus, you who were who formerly were afar off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. Everybody say amen. amen. For he himself is our peace who made both groups. The gym, Oh, the bird's back. Uh, we 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 did our best that. Oh, he's in the drum cage. Well, he's in trouble now. Um, I'm just going to go back and shut that door so that. He uh, uh, we, he was buzzing around the auditorium before he got in somehow. And there we go. And 
We opened off, we, we opened windows and we turned down the lights and everything. And he flew into the one window that wasn't open. <laughs> Boink! Like that. You know, and I'm standing there going, you know when they say bird brain? They're not kidding. I don't want to be a bird brain. But now in Christ Jesus, you who were formerly were, were far off have been brought near by the blood of Christ. For he himself is our peace who made uh, both groups into one, broke down the barrier of the dividing wall by abolishing in his flesh the enmity, which is the law of commandments contained in ordinances so that in himself he might make the two. The, the, the Jewish people of God and the Gentile people of God who believed him uh, into one group, into one new man, thus establishing peace and might reconcile them both in one body through God, uh, to God through the cross and by it having put to death the enmity. And he came and preached peace to you who are far away and preached peace to those who were near for through him. We both have our access in one spirit to the Father. Hallelujah. So then, you are no longer strange looking, no, strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens. Everybody say fellow citizens. On, with the saints and are of God's household. Having been built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the cornerstone in whom the entire building being fitted together is growing into a holy temple in the Lord, in whom you also are being built together into a dwelling of God in the spirit. Everybody say amen. What a powerful and fabulous passage of scripture. Now, again, when we left off the last series, we talked about Jesus as the head of the church, how he has defeated the strong man and stripped him of his armor. And we were delivered from the spirit of the world, from the prince of the power of the air, from the spirit that is now working in the sons of disobedience. We were once part of that world. We were once part of that mindset. We were once part of that value system. We used to think like the world, act like the world, talk like the world, and, and spend our money and our time like the world. How many of you know what I'm talking about? But now... Everybody say, but now we're different. It's different now for us because we are different. We have been transformed. We have been born again by his spirit. Yes, we once were excluded. Yes, excluded from citizenship in heaven. When it says citizenship in Israel, he's speaking of what Paul in uh, Galatians 6 and 16 calls the Israel of God, spiritual Israel. And it's time for the church to begin to think of ourselves as a nation within the nation. We are not sinners saved by grace. We have been transformed. Everybody say amen. We are justified by faith. Just as if I'd never sinned. You know, when the, when the enemy comes to you and says, well, you got flesh and you failed. And, you know, you, you, why don't you just hang it up? And you just, and you know, you just look, you know, devil, if you want to talk about failure, let's talk about yours. 
You know, you want to talk about being miserable. Let's talk about you. You're angry. You're upset. You're never at rest. And if you want to talk about a bleak future, let's talk about yours. Hallelujah. Um, we're not sinners. We're saints. We're holy ones. That's what that means. You might say, well, I don't think of myself that way. Well, God does. Now, who are you going to agree with? Again, a little while ago, we said, lean not on your own understanding. Amen. Amen. Most Western, you know, most say, but yeah, but Western Christians are carnal. That's true. And that's the problem. We often, so many times, we have people in the church who think, judge, act, vote like purely natural, uh, nor, uh, uh, worldly people. That's why Paul talked about in 1 Corinthians chapter uh, 2. He said, you're acting like, or 3, you're, you're acting like carnal men. You're acting like mere men. You know, and if we have got to come to the place where we no longer perceive ourselves as having one foot in the world and one foot in the kingdom. We are in the kingdom all in all the time, you know, and we, you know, uh, we don't even we just read about how the good works are prepared beforehand. I don't even have to make up my own mission. All I have to do is walk out what God has already prepared for me. All right. Now. In 1 Corinthians chapter 10, verse 32, Paul gives us a glimpse of the way God sees the world in terms of the people. He doesn't see Chinese and Russians and Germans and Americans and Mexicans and Bolivians and, and uh, uh, Indonesians and Australians. He doesn't see that. 1 Corinthians chapter 10 and verse 32 says this. Give no offense either to Jews or to Greeks or the church of God. When we read and interpret scripture, we need to understand that that is how God sees humanity. He sees the physical seed of Abraham, who are still beloved for the sake of the fathers. He sees the spiritual Israel, those who are uh, the offspring of Abraham by faith, according to Galatians chapter 3, that's the church. And then he sees everybody else, those who are not yet saved, and he's laboring to bring as many in as he can. And we've got to understand that. Yes, that doesn't mean there aren't Chinese, there aren't Mexicans, there aren't Germans, there aren't Russians, there aren't French, there aren't Brits, there aren't Aussies, there aren't uh, Indonesians or Filipinos or whatever, or Japanese. There are all of those things. But God looks at things spiritually, not naturally. Or culturally. All right. And first Peter chapter two, verses nine and ten. Great passage says this. But you. Everybody say, but I. You are a chosen race. A royal priesthood. A holy nation. A people for God's own possession. So that you may proclaim the excellencies of him. Oh, so in other words, we have a mission. Proclaim. That word translated proclaim means to preach. Uh, it does. The excellencies of him who has called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. For you once were not a people, but now are the people of God. Had not You had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. You are a chosen Race. The word there is genos. We get our word gene as in genetics directly from that. 
You have to understand that at the very nanosecond you were born again, you passed from death into life. You went from being under, in terms of authority, the dominion, the boot of darkness and the enemy and into the kingdom of God's beloved son. You changed citizenship. You are no longer under the devil's authority. You are no longer subject to his whims, his rules. And what, how do, well, well, how do we know that? Because Jesus bound the strong man and stripped him of his armor and came in to his house and took you off of his trophy shelf. Hallelujah. Well, kind of makes you treat me with one a little more respect. Yeah. Amen. It's a real change. It's not just a conversion. It is a metaphysical change. If you could be and see into the spirit, you could take one look at, at people and know who is born again and who is not. Who belongs to God and who does not. It's that obvious, except that the Holy Spirit would have to open our eyes. We'd have to have discerning of spirits to be able to see that. It is, not point, it is not granted for us to have that full time. You know, it will, you know, in the next life, perhaps. So we are a chosen race. Everybody say chosen race. Royal priesthood. Not holy priesthood. Royal. Priests represent God to men and men to God. Okay, but we're not a holy priesthood. We are that. But in addition to being holy, we are a royal priesthood because we are of the royal house. When you see in England, the royals or in Denmark, the royals or in Spain, the royals, those places that still have royalty. And they'll say that this person, well, he's a royal. What does that mean? He's related or she's related to the king. They are related to the king. And so that we are children of the king. Everybody say amen. We are the royal offspring. We are of the royal house and we serve our father, the king. And we are also a holy nation. That word translated nation is ethnos. God sees us as his own tribe. Hallelujah. A nation set apart by him and to him. You were not a people, but you are now the people of God. Now, the Greek word for people is laos. We get our word laity and layman directly from it. And a lot of people will say sometimes, well, I'm just a layman, meaning I don't know very much. But what that actually means is I am part of the greater group. I am one of the people of God. Are you with me here? And there is nobody in the kingdom who is unimportant. There is nobody in the kingdom who is ungifted because everyone in his kingdom has the Holy Spirit. Some are filled with the Spirit and some are not. But even those who are not have the life and the nature of Jesus of Nazareth dwelling within them through the Holy Spirit. And as we are in these times of the accelerating of the approaching kingdom, darkness seems to be and is intensifying in a way. But actually what's happening is God is just pulling back the curtain and letting everybody begin to see what's been there for quite some time. And we can no longer afford to think in purely natural terms. We said 
months and months and years ago, you were going to see bank failures. Well, hello. 16th largest, if you're unaware, if you're one of the people that doesn't ever turn on the television or anything, which is probably not a bad idea. The 16th largest bank in the United States of America failed this last week. A lot of people didn't get paid their paychecks because the bank on which they were drawn was closed. And they say they're going to open up again Monday. And it will be very interesting to see who gets their money and who does not. And what, you know, do I think this is the beginning of a massive collapse? I think it is the beginning. I don't think, I think they'll get a hold of this one. But as things continue to intensify and the tide goes out, as economists like to say, say, we'll see who's wearing a bathing suit. And who's skinny dipping. Because there's a lot of organizations out there whose books do not accurately reflect their, their status. All right? And so we, you know, we're seeing this happen. And we cannot continue to think of the world in political terms. Or even economic terms. Because the world's economic system is failing. You know, I see these commercials for this mutual fund or that, you know, whatever on TV, you know, get this advisor and everything. And I just shake my head because they're all part of a system that is literally coming, uh, is literally failing. All right. Our very money is failing. And we've got to start thinking spiritually because because the kingdom uh, is is above politics. Everybody say amen. That doesn't mean we do not vote. It doesn't mean we don't exercise our franchise. It doesn't mean that we do not stand up for what's right. We do. And I will talk about that in speaking truth to power. That is something we must do. But our primary allegiance, our loyalty, even to death itself, is to heaven. Jesus' words, the word, in the words of the Revelation, the words of Daniel, the words of Paul are all very clear that the politics of the last day will become excessively deceptive and quite dark. Liars and spin doctors will proliferate. We must not think of ourselves as Democrats or Republicans or as Sadducees or Pharisees. How many of you are with me there? That doesn't mean we're not part of a party. It means that that is not our identity. We are believers. We are Christians. What does Christian mean? It means a little anointed one. You know, it was first used in Antioch as a slur. It was a slur. And like so many other things, that which somebody meant as an insult, everybody goes, you know what? I'll wear that with pride. Hallelujah. I am a Christian. I am a little Christ. I am a little anointed one. Amen. And our highest allegiance is to heaven. It's to our father and our family above all else. Thank you for your support. Problem is, I grew up in a very different country than the one in which I live. The one in which I live now is doing its best to exalt things and to force things that my grandparents would have found horrifying. Whether it's the transgenderism or the flags of many colors and the, the, the wokeism that we see, my, there was no way that that would have flown back then. You know, but slowly... Starting with the education system, we've been, you know, we've got postmodernism and all of that, you know, 
stuff. You know, I, I grew up and I, I remember everybody was so appalled when uh, Barack Obama, while he was in office, said that America was not a Christian nation. And everybody's like, what do you mean? You know, well, I got to say that now what he spoke is patently obvious as we try to export so many things to that are just, you know, horrible. But our nation, I grew up in a nation that we perceived as a blessing to the world, a shining light, a city on a hill, a beacon of freedom. And there is ample proof in all of our ancient documents, not just the Constitution or the Declaration of Independence or the Bill of Rights or those things, that, but the, the Federalist Papers, that there is ample writing of the of the uh, of the founding fathers of this nation and the the original patriots who who established this nation that that is exactly how they they what they believed that this country was called to be and destined to be a light a city on a hill a beacon of freedom and that's you know there were consecrations and dedications made to God when this nation was in fact paragraph 2 of the Declaration of Independence states, we hold these truths to be self-evident. That is no longer the truth, unfortunately. We, we're going to change that truth. It says that we are endowed by our Creator with certain unalienable, unalienable rights in reference to, uh, it doesn't say, but it's in reference to the previous paragraph citing the laws of nature and nature's God. We have decided to ditch the laws of nature and interfere with it and create our own laws. I submit to you, we live in a nation in which, and just remember this, it's all going to burn. Every bit of it, no matter what happens next. Have I given up on our government? No, I have a family member in government and I don't believe God put him there to, to, of, for to no effect. You know, what, where all that's going to lead, he doesn't know and neither do I. But again, God has prepared the good works beforehand. So all he has to do is walk in them. Amen. I am just thankful that I live in a state where we re still at least relatively believe God. And that we still at least relatively are walking out the Judeo, although it's under assault, the Judeo-Christian worldview. I submit to you, however, nationally, that a Pharaoh who knew not Joseph has arisen. I'm not talking about a person. I'm talking about a spirit, you know, who rejects the truths our forefathers and founders considered self-evident and embraced. And this, the, and I'm talking about our, our forefathers, you know, I don't think Thomas Jefferson was a Christian, and I seriously doubt that Benjamin Franklin was. That said, they still recognized the need for the Judeo-Christian morality and ethics. Uh, uh, John Adams himself said that his, uh, democracy is a wholly unsuitable form of government for anything except a moral people. Well, I'm not advocating revolution or armed insurrection or even having a tea party. 
But I am saying we must be discerning of what is happening around us so that we would know what our proper response is as Bible-believing Christians. The truth is not relative. It is absolute. The truths of God is absolute, are absolute. Postmodernism is, has been in our universities for several decades now. And the problem is that it's not only been in the universities, it's been turning out teachers and turning out uh, other uh, key individuals within our culture that believe that postmodernism has taught them that authority is to be challenged. If it's authority, if it's human authority that's sideways with God, that's a good thing. However, if we're challenging the authority of Scripture, that's another thing entirely. And that they have been teaching our young people, you, you know, your truth, your truth. No, it's the truth. You cannot have your own truth. You know, the very uh, uh, Greek word, aletheia, truth, means reality. It, it, they did, you know, English has over 600,000 words. Greek does not. In fact, English is the biggest language in the history of humanity. Why? Because we steal words from other languages. You know, lots of words we use. You know, the number one uh, language from which we borrow is Francais, is French. Right, Doc? All right. German is a close, well, not even really a close second. But then we get words from every other, you know, whenever we get a word that we find a word that we don't have one for it, we just borrow it. You know, I wouldn't say steal, we borrow. And so, whereas German only has like 180,000 words and I don't know how many, how many does French have? You know, probably that many or a little less. You know, ancient Greek. And so a lot of the words had to do double and triple duty. Well, the word truth and the word reality, they were the same thing. That's it. You know, they used it the same way. And so when Jesus says your word is truth, he is saying your word is reality. And we have to look at it exactly that way. Because the world in postmodernism has told us, well, you can have your own reality. What you feel, that's what's real. And look where it has taken us. I identify as a, was it up here north, you know, Liberty somewhere? They had a student that identified as a cat. Well, I'm serious. They had a student that identified, I identify as a cat. And they were, I don't know, that's too ridiculous to even chase down. Our founders were not perfect men. By any stretch of the imagination. But they did see what needed to be done. And they formed a, 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 a government that while imperfect, because it, it is imperfect as every other human thing is imperfect, has you know, functioned until the last 20 years or so amazingly well. And, but what we have now is a spirit that wants to go back and rewrite history and change everything. We must resist that. And I'm not just talking about in terms of the United States of America. I'm talking about in terms of the scripture because that's underway too. Whether it's universalism or, you know, no need for holiness. Jesus paid it all. Live any old way you want to. Now that you're born again, you know, just cruise on your merry way. You know, and, and it's all good. You know, it is not. 
Oh, the Holy, you know, God, God doesn't place any requirements on us. He doesn't have anything that he expects of us. That's not the Bible I read by any stretch of the imagination. And in Proverbs 22, 28, it says, do not move the ancient boundary which your fathers have set. You know, when Ruth Bader Ginsburg died, so many people hailed her for so many reasons. And I am not besmirching the woman's memory by any stretch of the imagination. But one thing that she tried to introduce to the court's deliberations, which I vehemently disagree, is that she thinks, thought that decisions on different questions should be made not only in light of the Constitution, but in light of international law. No. The reason that the United States of America has excelled is because we didn't flow. And, and even the founding father said, stay out of foreign entanglements. Boy, where would we be if we had been observing that? Again, we don't change meanings, redefine terms, rewrite history. We must not succumb to the narrative. The prevailing wisdom, because the prevailing wisdom is foolishness. It is toxic and can be in its horrific impact can be seen in the places, in the cities and in the states where it is most deeply and profoundly adopted. Now let's turn this around. John chapter 17. A lot of people refer to this as the high priestly prayer. I refer to it as the Lord's Prayer. When you and I think of the Lord's Prayer, we think of our Father who art in heaven, hallowed be thy name. That's the disciples' prayer. The disciples said, teach us how to pray. And that's what the Lord gave them. That wasn't his prayer, it's theirs. This is the Lord's Prayer. This is the one Jesus uh, made before going to the cross. And he's praying to the Father. But now, verse 13, I come to you. And these things I speak in the world so that they may have, they meaning the disciples, meaning us, may have joy, my joy, made full in themselves. Why is that important? Because the joy of the Lord is your strength. Amen. Amen. I have given them your word and the world has hated them because they are not of the world even as I am not of the world. One, I'm going to stop right here. One of the things that we just have to decide and drive a stake in that area of our lives going forward is we have got to quit worrying about whether the world likes us or not. We all want to get along. Is there anybody within the sound of my voice, either in this room or watching by internet, who wakes up in the morning and says, I'm going to see how many people I can tick off today. I'm just going to see how many people I can offend today. No, we all want to get along. We all. But the problem is that we 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 get so locked into that that we go along often to get along. And those days are over. We cannot go along. There are just some things we can, you know, we just say, you know what? We're just not going to do that. We can't. And we've got to stand up and say, I don't believe in any such foolishness. We've got to be able to tell Herod, it's not lawful for you to have her. We've got to be able to do those things. We've got to be willing to do those things. We've got to be willing to be considered to be hated by the world. Now, that doesn't mean everybody in the world will hate you. 
But it means those who are the sons of disobedience, who have given themselves over to that, you and I will be seen as enemies because we are. So what do you do with an enemy? You love them. We're not out to, to conquer these people. We wrestle not with flesh and blood. Amen. Amen. We'll get to that in a minute. Are you, is, is this going in? Okay. Um, yeah, I know we're really changing direction here, but let's come back to that prayer. He said, I have given them your word. This is Jesus speaking to the Father. I have given them your word. And the world has hated them because they are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. Uh, this, uh, this is a great story. It pops into my mind about how many of you are ever rebellious teenagers? Anybody here was a rebellious teenager? Better, better question. How many of you were a compliant teenager? One. One. And between the two of us. No, I mean, <laughs> the fact is, most of us went through that phase. And I remember <coughs> the testimony of a young lady <coughs> raised in a Christian home. And she was rebelling against her parents. She was rebelling against their, you know, and, and, you know, teen, it's, teenagers are awkward. They're tough because you're different. You're going through the God ordained process of differentiating yourself from your parents. And I understand that, but that doesn't mean that you're, you know, your parents are bad people. And so she was going through this time and she was hanging out with some people she really didn't need to be around and her parents would never have have uh, would never have have uh, hey there bub well, her, her parents would never have uh, would have approved of it and so uh, she and her there was uh, a really raunchy band you know rock and roll band that had come to town and one of her friends was something of a groupie and had act you know backstage access passes and everything and so she her her friend said to her come on let's go and she said cool so she did whatever her makeup was supposed to be and when they showed up you know to to get in the guy that or no it was a, it was a, it was a, a you know a big burly guy, and then there was a, a woman who, as it turns out, was a witch. And she said to this gal's friend, "You can go in," but then she looked at the young, uh, rebellious Christian young woman and said, "You can't." And she said, "What do you mean?" And she confronted her. She said, "Because you're a Christian and you can't go in." She said, "I'm not a Christian." She said. Yes, how many of you are glad that the Lord is merciful when we're, when we're idiots? She said, I'm not a Christian. And she said, yes, you are. She goes, I am not. And she said, yes, you are. And she said, how do you know? She said, those angels standing next to you, they don't go in. Mom and dad are praying. Nana and Papa are praying. Hallelujah. How many of you are grateful for the, the love and the mercy of God? Amen. Well, anyway, I, you know, they are not of the world. Even you ever notice that when you're a believer, even when you were a you know, young, young believer and you were just kind of trying to get along, you didn't want to make people like, even when you went to hang out with the world, you never quite fit. And they never quite let you all the way in. Why? They know it. 
They may not even know why they know. We are not of this world. We're different. I do not ask you to take them out of the world, but to keep them. Oh, Lord, take us out. <laughs> but to keep them from the evil one. They are not of the world, even as I am not of the world. And then look at this. Sanctify them. Make them holy. Set them apart to yourself in the truth. Your word is truth. Sanctify them in the real deal. Your word is reality. Lean not on your own understanding. In all of your ways acknowledge him. Why? Because his word is reality. We are set apart from the world by God and to God. And we recognize the scripture as being reality. Because when all of this stuff blows up and the dust settles and the elements burn, that is what's going to be left. If you don't know what scripture says, however, you're severely hampered. You're, you're hampered in the transforming power of that word. You're, trans, you're hampered because you don't know the rights, the privileges, and the responsibilities that are ours as citizens. How many of you had good citizen of the week when you were in school? I did. I was elected good citizen of the week. It was on Monday and I was stripped of it on Wednesday. No, I'm serious. I was, I, I, the teacher took it away from me on Wednesday because I was a naughty boy. What did you do? I blew the school up. No, no. We were in the bathroom during, you know, bathroom break. I think this might have been third grade. Yeah, I think it was third grade. Olive Holder was my teacher. So in third side, so yeah, I'm pretty sure. And we're in there washing our hands, Right. And I went, Bleh! and flicked water on the guy next to me. And he flicked water back on me. And we kind of got to flicking water. And I was stripped of good citizenship because of my water flicking. Now, okay, you know, did I know that that's probably not a good idea? No, I didn't. It just seemed like the thing to do at the time. <laughs> now, I did. I was elected good citizen again later in the year, and I managed to keep my nose clean that week. But the fact is, the whole point of good citizen is someone who is walking in a manner that is a blessing to those around them and to the greater good. Everybody say amen. And... If we don't know what the scripture says, how can we be good citizens? We can give it a shot, but we're, we're hampered. You know, we don't know what our rights, we don't know what our privileges, we don't know what our responsibilities are. And we certainly are unaware of the power of God's word on the lips of the believer. Because there are times that only the word of God on your lips is going to get you out of that mess. Amen. Amen. Romans chapter 12, verses 1 and 2. Everybody in here could probably quote them. I, therefore, I urge you, brethren, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies a living and holy 
sacrifice acceptable to God, which is your spiritual service of worship. I love the way that's rendered in the New American Standard because that is probably the closest to being completely accurate because the word worship there is the word, service is the word liturgeo. We get our word liturgy directly from it. And do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind so that you may prove and uh, prove meaning discover and walk out what the will of God is, that which is good and acceptable and perfect. Now, you've heard me say this before many times that in verse two, when it says be transformed, that is the middle voice of metamorpho to be transformed, to be met, to metamorphosize. That's the middle voice. I mean, the, 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 the passive voice, something acting on us from 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 without. I'm being transformed. But the spelling of the word of the middle and the passive are identical. And in the middle voice, it says, transform yourselves in your own interest by the renewing of your mind. So which is it, pastor? It's both. I transform. I apply. I get in that word. I crack that word open every single day. Like my daily food, my daily bread your word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. I crack it open and begin to read it. I discover something in my Bible reading, my devotional reading every single day. I read this not looking for a sermon, but looking for my father. Fellowshipping with the Holy Spirit. Fellowshipping with God around his word. And it enables him to bring, to, to show me things and I see things and it transforms my mind. It transforms my thinking. And so notice that I am responsible to present my body. God is not going to come and take my body and put it someplace. I am responsible for putting my body on the altar. That is a citizenship responsibility. I am also responsible to, as Job said, desire his word more than my necessary food. Now, I have no illusions about how that goes down because your flesh does not want to read scripture. Your flesh wants to eat the leftover pizza. Or, I mean, you know, your flesh doesn't want to pray. Your flesh doesn't want to, uh, doesn't want to read. And so, I mean, you'll crack that Bible open and you'll start it. And believe me, it is good to have a routine. It is good to have. That is what's called discipline. And to open that word and to munch and crunch on that living word every single day. That also is now if you go a day without reading the scripture because you were busy or, you know, uh, something of that nature. The answer that, you know, once once in a great while, don't get condemned about that. Go on. But that is that is the exception rather than the rule. Why? We, what is First uh, Thessalonians 2.13, we thank God that when you received our word, you received it not as the word of men, but what it is, the, the word of God, which is performing its work in you who believe. 
That word is doing its work in me. But I've got to put it in if I'm going to expect it to do anything. If I am not, if I'm not reading, meditating in the word, if I'm not in the scripture, if I'm not associating and connecting myself with a body of believers and laboring, what does that mean I am? There is a word for that. Carnal. Fleshly. Everybody say amen. I said, Pastor, you know, uh, Lindsay sent me a TikTok video and I can't remember the name of the guy. I, knew, I recognize him because I see him uh, interviewing preachers, famous ones all the time. And in that video, he talked about, I can't remember what the survey was, but that only 2%, 2% of current churches in the United States of America teach the virgin birth, the sinless life, the resurrection, the need for holiness in the believer's life. 2%. Now, even if their numbers are way off and it's actually double that, 4%. Even if it's five times that many, 10%. How many of you see a problem here? You know, I know how to empty it out of church. I've proven that. <laughs> I mean, I have. And I made a decision a long time ago. First of all, I didn't call me to this. He did. I had another plan. And so he, you know, he called me and said, so, okay, Lord, I'm just going to get in up there and cut it as straight as I know how. And some people will be attracted to it and some people will be repelled. So far, there are fewer in the former category and a lot more in the latter. That said, our country is headed into a time, our world is headed into a time when the distress and the trouble is going to be sufficient that people are going to begin to realize that human institutions will not save them. The government will not save them. In fact, things are about to change in our culture and in our uh, system of government in ways that most of us probably will, will find amazing. So stand by. Amen. And, you know, once I know that word, when it says renew your mind, well, what do I use my mind for? <laughs> I heard you going, not much. <laughs> what do you use your mind for? It's where you think. It's where you feel. It's where you choose. It's your reasoning, it is your feeling, and your volition. And when you have renewed your mind, you think the thoughts of God after him. We have the mind of Christ, Paul said. Amen. And when you have the mind of Christ, when you really do believe, and you are convinced of it, not just in your spirit, but in your mind, then when all of these things happen, and people are going, running around with their hair on fire, going, oh my God, you know, you can be calm going, eh. Because you know. That old song we used to sing. I know who I have believed. And am persuaded that he is able. To keep that which I have entrusted unto him against that day. That's Paul the apostle. You know he's saying it. I believe him. I'm not going to worry about it. Remember when Paul told them. In Acts chapter 27. Hey guys. I don't think this. I don't think this trip's a good idea. I think we need to stay in port. Where I perceive that 
This, this voyage will be full of damage and loss and threat, not only to the cargo of the ship, but to our own lives as well. But the centurion, the Roman officer, was more persuaded by the pilot, the, the, the navigator, uh, and the owner of the ship. And so the majority reached, that's what it says, the majority reached the decision to set sail. Ha! Huh, the majority! You keep following the majority and you're going to wind up in trouble. Amen! And so, of course, they get out there and they're in this storm. They have seen neither sun nor moon nor stars for many days, which means they have no way to navigate. They don't have a clue where they are. And it says, since no small storm was assailing us. In other words, since we were getting the living soup slapped out of us, all hope of being saved was gradually abandoned. You will see that. You will see that. You mark my words. It's going to get crazy enough that a lot of people are going to give up hope. And that's when the believer stands up and says, you should have listened to me. Now, it's not because nana nana boo boo. No, it's because, okay, you didn't listen to me. Look at the mess you got yourself into. Listen to me now. And in fact, the Roman soldier who, you know, the, the, there were more than one soldier. There was an officer and some enlisted men. And at one point, the guys that were, that were the crew of the ship were letting down the dinghy, you know, in order, you know, for the pretense of setting out anchors from the bow. But what they were really trying to do was get away from that ship. And Paul says to the, to the officer, Bob, <laughs> I don't know what, what his name really was, but I'm pretty sure it wasn't Bob. Uh, if these guys don't stay with the ship, you yourselves can't be saved. And the next thing you know, the, the soldiers are cutting the ropes and cutting the dinghy adrift. We have gone from not listening to Paul to suddenly listening to Paul. Are you with me? I do believe we will see a day. I don't believe that we're going to have this revival of, of, of such. I believe we're going to see revival. I believe we're going to see harvest and everything. And I believe that there will be people in government who will listen to prophetic voices. I mean, even in ancient Israel, wicked kings did oftentimes listen to prophets because they knew which side of the bread the butter was on. Some of them didn't, but, you know, they died. You know, it didn't go well with them. All right. And so uh, we do something with our body. We do something with our minds. John 8 and 31. And, and if our musicians would come, we're going to we're going to bring this in for a landing. Is anybody besides me excited about this series? I think this is going to be fun. And we're going to we're going to see a lot. And we're going to talk about a lot of the reasons why things that have been are being done in this nation are a disaster. And why? Biblically. Biblically. So Jesus was saying, John 8 and 31, so Jesus was saying to those Jews who had believed in him, if you continue in my word. The word translated continue means to remain. It means to abide. Meno, it means to abide in my word. Then you are truly disciples of mine and you will know the truth 
and the truth will make you free. You will know what is real and that reality as you walk in it will set you free. But I do want you to know that it's not the truth that sets you free. It's the truth you know. You will know the truth and that truth will make you free. Hallelujah. Ephesians chapter 6, verses 10 through 13, reading from the English Standard Version. Okay, by the way, I forgot to mention this. Uh, I kind of touched on it, but let's just put it this way. When you became a citizen of heaven, you immediately made the, enemies, uh, the, the devil's enemies list. That's why they hate us. You know, we don't hate them, but they hate us. We are not to hate the world. We are to hate the world, but not the people in it. We're to love the sinner and hate the sin. And that's easier said than done, but that is exactly the way it's supposed to be. Because we are not trying to defeat these people. We are trying to win them. Finally, and you know when Paul says finally what it means, nothing just like me. Be strong in the Lord and the strength of his might. Put on the whole armor of God that you may be able to stand against the schemes, the plans, the purposes of the devil. Are we supposed to do this every day? Absolutely. And if you know what? That's an awful lot to wear just to go to work. For we do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against. Oh, we do wrestle. It's just that your mother-in-law isn't the problem. Your boss isn't the problem. The police officer that just pulled you over for going too fast is not the problem. Amen. In fact, the government is not even your problem. A problem, just not yours. Hallelujah. We do not wrestle against flesh and blood, but against rulers, against the authorities, these are the wicked spirits, against the cosmic powers over this present darkness, against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly places. Therefore, take up the whole armor of God that you may be able to withstand in the evil day and having done all to stand firm. Hallelujah. You know, the wild part about this is I've been up here for 20 years, ever since really 2002, preaching certain things, just wondering if it's ever going to happen. And now I'm watching them go down. It's happening. And you know, there's two ways to look at it and go, oh no, or bring it on. Now that's warped. No, no, it's not because I am really, really amped up about seeing the hand of God in the middle of all this. I am really amped up in seeing people come into the kingdom because they finally realize there is no hope for them out there. In Jeff City, no offense, in, uh, in, in, in uh, D.C. Or in the Jackson County Courthouse. What an awesome thing. We take up the full armor. What? We start thinking biblically. The helmet of salvation. What did James say? Receive the word engrafted, which able to save your Soul. Praise God. The breastplate of righteousness. Where you know that you know that you know that you have been washed. 
Amen. Having your feet shod with the preparation of the gospel of peace. What does that mean? That you have such peace that the enemy can't knock you off your feet with fear, etc. The belt of truth, the sword of the spirit, the shield of faith. We'll talk more about some of those things later. But we don't have any illusion about the darkness that is embedded in our culture. We are not yearning for the good old days anymore because we're not sitting around being nostalgic about that because they're gone forever. And I will close with this. Psalm 94, verses 12 through 15. Blessed is the man whom you chasten, O Yah. Interestingly, instead of Yahweh, it's Yah right there. O Lord. And whom you teach out of your law, that you may grant him relief from the days of adversity. How many of you claim that one? I do. That you may grant him relief, you may grant him deliverance from the days of adversity until a pit is dug for the wicked. For Yahweh will not abandon his people, nor will he forsake his inheritance. For judgment will again be righteous and all the upright in heart will follow it. Saints, the road before us is crazy, but it is glorious. Not because of our culture, our world, or anything of that, but because of our God. And I no longer... You know, one of the things, I am an American and I am a patriot and I will vote that way and I will make and I will stand up and make my voice heard about that. That said, the most important thing is I am a citizen of heaven. And believe it or not, I was discharged from the army and from the Air Force Reserve, but God has not allowed me to ETS. He has not allowed me to, to be discharged. I'm in it for good. And I'm not just a lifer, I'm an eternity-er. Hallelujah. Let's all stand. Father, you are so good to us. And those of you watching by web, if you do not know Jesus Christ as your Lord and Savior, I want to, I do not wait another nanosecond before you give your heart to Jesus because there is a heaven to gain. And in the days to come, the things we're seeing right now, they're going to, we're going to go from crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis to crisis. Do you know why? Because it's bringing in the substitute Messiah, the Antichrist. People are going to be so battered, they're going to be crying, peace and safety, when there will be no peace and there will be no safety outside of Jesus. It says in Psalm 91, he who dwells in the secret place, the hidden pavilion, the well-defended tower of the Most High God. When we become Christians, we enter his heart and his secret place. And God's able to shield you even out in the wide open as necessary. All you need to do is pray in your heart. Just say, Lord Jesus. I believe you are my, I believe that you are the son of God. I believe that the father has raised you from the dead. Come into my heart. Be my Lord and be my savior. I give myself to you. And the scripture says that you will pass from death into life. That change we talked about earlier, that will be you. You will be part of a chosen people, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, one of the people of God.
your, 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 not, it's not just your eternity that will change, although that's the most important thing, but even your life down here. Christian, if you're watching today and you are not fully engaged, this, no more, there, there's no more time for fooling around, cherry-picking our obediences. We get all the way in. And whatever orders come down in the scripture, we walk according to that. Because we are digging deep and building our houses on the rock. Because we've already been through one storm. 2008, 2007, 2008 was an economic storm. There's a much bigger one coming. And you want to be in Him. Hallelujah. And by the way, just so you know, historically, anytime there is a major shift in and currencies die and things of that nature, war always accompanies it. So, get in. Get in the ark. Get in the church. Get in there. Because God has great things for you. And he'll shut the door. Hallelujah. Amen. Glory to God. Hello, this is Kevin McMullen, Senior Pastor of Independence Christian Center. Thanks for joining us as we break the bread of life today. Our prayer is that your faith in our Lord Jesus Christ is strengthened by this word. God bless you.